Hello and welcome back to the Hosting Masterclass podcast. I am so impressed that you're still listening. Thank you so much. My name is Sarah Andrews. I am a scientist, a designer, a stylist, a teacher, and I just love what I do. In this show, we show you behind the scenes of our community and our school with people who I've taught and people who've taught me so that we can spread the love a little bit further. But this time we have a very special episode. Well, two actually. We're going to break it into two parts because it's so long. And what we do here in this episode is three of my brand new graduates who are all based in South Australia, get to ask me their burning questions, which I will answer wholeheartedly. This is a beautiful episode for any of you that maybe have not studied with us before and really are looking for a little insight into maybe your journey, what's next, some things that might be bothering you that I can help with. It is a very educational episode. Joining us today, you hear the beautiful voices of Susie, Kate and Stacey. It might be a little hard for you to sort of discern who is who, and we're obviously all very nervous in the room, but I will make sure to link who they are and their Instagrams in our show notes so you can go and follow them and ask them any questions about their experience studying with us, their experience hosting for the first time. They are so lovely. We are recording this episode on the couch in one of our other lovely students, Lisa's beautiful property, Miss Evelyn's. Um, so it does feel like we're entirely surrounded by a hosting masterclass universe today. So without ado, let's jump in and get started. Okay, so you guys had your small list of questions for me. So, um... I, as I started before I had my property too, and I'm so glad that I did, my first question just was, what would you be looking for in a property now in terms of not just location, as in state, surroundings, and that sort of thing? Yeah, like landscape around, city, town, that sort of thing. It's such a varied question, because I think that there's no one or two or three perfect things you should be looking for because when someone goes on holiday they're obviously looking for everything so when I travel I'm looking for like remote stays and city stays and something interesting like a farm stay but my advice is always buy or pursue what lights you up that you would want for a holiday house so I feel like everyone's kind of different some people want that remoteness some people want to be in the city some people want to be in a small country town and experience like you know wineries and things like that so I think you should always follow your own heart because then you will wholeheartedly step into that project because it's essentially for yourself and you are excited about it it's not just a, a business I mean being here in Lisa's property you can feel how much she loves this house mm. and how excited we were all to come here that will follow through but you know, I think that we've all taught you inside the class how to make your own destination properties. So it's not always about finding something that's already popular like Tasmania or Hobart or, you know, places around here that are popular wine regions because you know how to make your own destination. 
just listening back there, I want to add one more thing. We always do quite a bit of research with our guests as well as our students. And we've found anywhere up to five hours from a capital city is very comfortable for people to travel to. A little tidbit that might help you guys out there on your property search. So my question is, what is one piece of advice you'd give us just starting out on the hosting journey? Oh, I mean, you guys have already done the right thing, which is education. I feel like, you know, obviously I follow so many other people in the industry and there's so many people out there who think that just having a beautiful property is enough. You know, they feel skilled enough in like the interior space to do well that's really like only one-tenth of it, as you know. And I feel like people who go into this are obviously ultimately going to be spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and going into it blind without a proper education. And what you're actually going to do, I think, is a bit of a frivolous exercise when you don't actually know. And I think the one thing we always hear after class is students saying, wow, I'm so amazed at how much I didn't know I didn't know. Because I think coming into it, you think, okay, like I know the basics of what I should be doing. So that would be my one piece of advice. My um, next question was, what is the next hotspot? But I think you answered that in the first question pretty much. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I've obviously been looking for another property for myself. The gems are to be found not where everyone else is, is buying. And that's also where the opportunity is because if you're the first, not only are you buying into the market cheaper, but you become that destination in that area, which is so important to be the one everyone thinks about when they think about Adelaide or Hobart or Strawn or the places that we are. This Christmas I was gifted a book of the Carmen Wise book of Sudoku, which I love because it's full of you know, interesting quotes about numbers and about calmness. I don't know which genius came up with something so amazing. But I'm reminded of a quote in there that I love by Dr. Seuss, which is, you have to be odd to be number one. And talking about this now, about being the first, looking in areas that aren't, I guess, discovered or, you know, hotspots that people go to, how powerful that can be. I'm reminded, yes, you need to be on to be number one. I think it's it's smarter in a way to be that. But I, I fully get behind Tasmania and South Australia. I think that the world is moving to a more, wanting more outdoor spaces, natural beauty, adventure, remoteness as a holiday destination rather than, you know, things to do and places to shop because most of our world is so online people want to get offline and I feel like these are the places to do it especially with your beaches and your wine oh my god (laughs) (laughs) Kate words of wisdom for handling negative reviews yes I get negative reviews and for years it just tortured me because I always thought if I can't get it absolutely perfect you know who am I to teach this And so I, you know, searched for answers and tried to perfect everything. And I'd only get like one or two a year, 
nothing crazy, but they really kind of affected me when I did. And I know that when you guys do, it feels the same. And I found this beautiful meditation teacher in London called Jackie and I asked her the question. I said, how do you deal with criticism? Because it really hurts me and I, I'm doing my best and I can't seem to make everybody happy. And her advice was that criticism is a part of life. Like if I deleted all my Instagram accounts and closed my business and sat in a room with the curtains drawn, I'd be criticised for that. So it doesn't matter what you do, you will be criticised. So once you kind of accept that, it just becomes really easy to be criticised because you're like, well, you know, I can't not be, you know, there's no existence without it. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're only getting one or two a year, you're doing pretty good, honestly. There's not a single student I've ever taught that hasn't had a hor one horrible review. Yeah, you know, one beautiful student in WA, she got a listing... Something about more lipstick than on a pig. <laughs> like, really horrible and such a beautiful place, you know, and everything perfect, but you just can't avoid that and it's part of what we do. If it happens a lot, then maybe you should be looking at a few things, but one or two a year is fine. Thank you. That's like a really positive answer. That's <laughs> lovely. Well, it's how I've managed to, to deal with it because I've had to deal with criticism on a bigger scale than what you'll have to deal with you know people will judge captain dresser a lot more harshly than they'll ever judge your places because they're like well she teaches it and she's got books and if there's a light globe that doesn't work or duck poo on the, on the <laughs> welcome mat then it's a problem so I have to hold myself in higher standards than you will. All right, my next question is, how do you know when it's right or convince yourself that it is when you're in doubt? I think it's the same as criticism. It's always gonna be a part of things. And the way that I make decisions and the way I've decided to make decisions is like, whatever is making me happy is like a joy butterfly and I have to follow it. So obviously there's so much many more decisions to be made outside of our renovating, like which property do I choose and paint colours and, and all of those finer things. And I try just to follow what makes me genuinely so excited and happy and, and push everything else away. So I feel like if you follow that, you can't go wrong. You go wrong when you start following what other people are doing, what other people think and what other people have done. And... And when I'm doing a project, like a book or a house or a space, I, have, I go on a full ban of Pinterest, magazines, Instagram. I don't look. And I find I can enjoy the process more that way and feel genuinely proud of what I've done rather than plagued with <laughs> indecision and doubt and fear. So that helps me. That's lovely. I like the joy butterfly. Yeah, it's a good one. It, it applies in a lot of different circumstances. Mm. Yeah. Thanks. So in the hosting community, there's a lot of talk at the moment about moving away from the Airbnb platform and doing a self-directed platform or direct booking platform. What do you think about that? I get to talk to students who are doing it and my own experiences using Airbnb and others who are using Airbnb. And I think you would be crazy to do direct bookings. For a few reasons. One, you're not protected in a lot of different ways. Airbnb are a really huge company who take away a lot of the risk in what we're doing because 
it's almost like sailing. It's either hosting is either amazing and cocktails at sunset and money just pouring into your account or, or you're going to die and the biggest disaster and it's all hell has broken loose. There's no in between. And I just feel like for those moments, having that protection of another organization, being the booking agent, not you, you're just the host is really important for our sanity, for our legal liability but also, who would want to do the work of sending out manuals, directions, trip notes, check-in details? Like, we have a few students and they have to send out things when the, when the guest books, two weeks before they book, the day off, all of those things. The automation that happens for the, you know, however many percent or however many dollars, it just is cheaper than hiring someone to do that all for your own time. And I just think, why reinvent the wheel? I've always thought that. Someone's already invented it. Why do it again? But the biggest thing for me is protection. And from a guest's point of view, I think they would probably feel more reassured. Absolutely. And I know a lot of platforms, as soon as a guest is required to do anything, like, scan their driver's license or give you their date of birth they're just not going to book you know most guests have an airbnb user login or most people in the world so it's easy for them to just click book done but once they're faced with too many steps even if it's one or two steps it's it's too many steps for them to book and so you've got to think about it from a usability point as well i would never do a direct booking with a a property because I don't know if I'm protected I don't know what my you know policies are protecting me and my own cancellation and what if I arrive in the places you know I've arrived at places that have had guests already in it have had a dead bird in the kitchen full of mice poo no electricity and it's the middle of winter so yeah. yeah and, and it's, it's good to have that reassurance that you could just contact Airbnb yeah to have it sorted I feel like most of us are running professional businesses and they are genuinely our side businesses because once we're up and running, most of us, including our students, only really spend half an hour a week at most running our businesses and that's how we do it. If you want to spend two or three days a week running your business, then sure, use your own you know, platform, but I've just weighed up the pros and cons and it's not worth it. And I'm not a huge fan of Airbnb. And as soon as something genuinely better comes out, I will jump ship and let you all know. So I'm not a fan, but right now I feel like it is the best tool we have. Mm-hmm. And I just use it as a tool. Thank you. That's what my gut was telling me, but it's nice to have Sarah Andrews. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, comes, so it comes up a lot, though. There's a lot it of chatter does. about yeah. it yeah. Like, between all the students as well. So it's really helpful to have your input. I feel like, you know, so I can give you anything. It's just not to make big mistakes. And having done it for a long time and seeing such a huge volume of people come through, not only my own property, but there's thousands of students now and I've heard all of their experience. I genuinely hear about the good experiences and the really terrible experiences. So I know the breadth of what's out there that's coming for you guys and I just want to make it easy and safe and peaceful as much as possible for you and and as a genuine side business not as your full-time job like before I started the hosting masterclass captain's rest was my full-time job but I was only spending half an hour a week on it and the rest of the time I was traveling and getting better and 
staying calm with my family. I feel like that's how it should be. If you're running like a 20 unit complex or something, then maybe you could think about doing something a little differently and hire a person. But for those, what you're doing, one or two properties, I just, I just don't think there's a better option yet. Just to reiterate there, I have such a unique perspective on things. You know, I run my own Airbnb, obviously. I'm working on another two and a couple for students. But I get to see thousands of students around the world not only learn with us, but then I follow their journey afterwards. And obviously everyone's very different in terms of where they are, the types of properties they have, the types of guests, you know, their aesthetic and also the way they've approached things. You know, we give people a framework on how I do it and why I do it that way to let people make their own decisions about what they want to do. And so I see it all. I see it all every day and every week. And I just can't think of anyone else that has that kind of perspective. So it's a real joy to be able to give people that and take away any as much confusion and pain and fear as possible. Kate, so my <clears throat> next question really ties back into what Stacy kind of brought up before and what you were mentioning about the butterfly, actually. So what brings you the most joy in what you do? Oh, teaching you guys is pretty up there because it's a pretty magical experience seeing you go from terrified and, oh, my God, I spent all this money. Is it even going to be worth it? To so excited about what you're going to do, what the future goes. That's amazing. But the best bit is seeing it happen for you guys. So many students come. We have this final wrap-up, especially on the Zoom of, you know, those final burning questions and everyone's terrified. Like, oh, I'm, I'm just really nervous about going into this. I mean, you've both experienced it. I feel like I'm still half, half, half at the moment. <laughs> I don't know how the other girls feel. But I'm, I'm terrified. Like I'm, half, half. <laughs> I, I'm half excited, but also... That's because you're closest to Yes, yes. <laughs> it's coming back. Yeah, but then like six or 12 months later, you'll be on a cover of a magazine somewhere. I mean, look at Carrie, yeah, the storekeeper's house. Who's Zoom? Was she in either of your Zoom class? No, no, I think she was the, before us. Before yes. you. Yeah. Yeah. But she, that was, Beautiful. what, nine months ago that she did her Zoom class and now yeah. she's on the cover and had a huge feature and all of our students in the Dream Stays edition of Country Style, yeah. they were all recently graduated students in the past year I would say so don't ever think that the extraordinary can't happen because it happens to all of our students and not everybody wants covers lots of people just want really successful easy businesses but then they get more than that and they're able to you know quit their job and become full-time moms or stay-at-home moms or homeschool their kids or like those other things that they aspire to. I feel like almost every student that comes to us, their emotional journey is the same. It, it starts off with extreme trepidation and hesitation to invest, you know, to come and study with us because obviously it's not cheap and cheerful, but that's because what we do isn't cheap or cheerful. And they're terrified when they come to class. I think it's like first day of school feeling. There's all of this social anxiety with being in a room or a Zoom group with a bunch of strangers and there's also this terrible fear that 
they've just invested a lot of money, which is not going to be worth it, to these moments of revelations, aha moments, joy, support, creativity, this beautiful process. And then they leave us and head out into the real world and they experience all that again. Is this really going to be successful for me? Should I trust what Sarah is saying? And then, yeah, incredible. Covers a magazine, successful businesses, jobs quit. Really, really magical. And everyone is obviously very different to what their aims are. So, yes, it's such a special journey to be witness of on and I'm always so grateful people trust us enough to join us. I know it's it's a lot and it is very scary. Such a pleasure. So it's it's really beautiful for me to see people's genuine dreams come true. I think that's the best bit. And I wish I had more time to follow everyone really closely and communicate daily and my biggest struggle is I hate missing when things happen to students and I don't see it and then someone tells it to me about a month later, I'm like, oh, I missed it. You know, something amazing happening. That's the best bit. Yeah. I can imagine it's very rewarding for you to be able to see everyone flourish in that way and you really do change people's lives. So yeah, thank you for doing what you do. It's like, it's been a pleasure and I feel like, our goal, my goal is to make it a non-profit one day. So anybody who wants to learn can can do by donation and then that money will go to women in developing countries who want to start their own businesses and grow it that way. And I think that that's what we oh, want to that's do. That's beautiful. <laughs> I know. That would be wonderful. That's it. Yeah. yeah. We, we want to make it free for everybody because I just feel like it's so important for especially women mm-hmm. to have those skills to give them what they want and everyone's dream is a little bit different and it's nice to see everyone's dream come to fruition it's special yeah I never retire from it I love it so much <laughs> we'll hold you to that yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'll just step back a bit <laughs> at some point Hi everyone, sorry to interrupt, just a little public service announcement. The busier I get, the less I can teach. So this coming year, we only have one face-to-face masterclass and three Zoom schools, and already two have sold out. So we encourage you all, if you'd love to study with us, then visit our website and book your ticket early. All right. What advice do you have for those on a tight budget? So how do you decide what's worth keeping, spending more on, and what you can do without or perhaps bring in later? Well, I think the most important thing is being realistic about what your budget is and holding yourself to that and not feeling any pressure that a bigger budget means better property or better result because it doesn't. I remember I styled Captain's Dress with $800 and that included buying flannel sheets from Kmart and the really cheap towels from Kmart also. And it was really successful and it was a real joy to, to upgrade as things went along to more expensive things. But I would say that people put too much money into the renovation, especially kitchens and bathrooms. They get sucked down that hole and Really, kitchens and bathrooms aren't the most important spaces in what we do. It's We're designing worlds for people to experience, so the budget goes into things like... I, I'd, I'd spend all my budget on a comfortable, beautiful sofa 
and some nice side tables. And I just don't feel like with Facebook Marketplace and Gumtree, I've bought so many beautiful things for, you know, really cheap. Like I bought like a $10,000 Malmix sofa for $500 and then bought a slip cover for it. You know, it's just, I feel like you can do amazing things with small budgets and really key things, chairs, tables, art, and you can be creative with the rest. You know, Christine, who's a student who's also on the podcast, has been teaching us to make her own paint. And we made paint for like $80 would do the house, honestly. Wow. Yeah. And we were all, our minds were blown. We couldn't believe it. How amazing. And it looked so much better than the plastic paint you buy wow. from the hardware store. Just out of simple ingredients like milk powder, lime, and a few other secret things. And we were making our own colours as well. So we were getting really creative with like getting the exact shades we wanted that you can't buy because I feel like colours in Australia especially are just too clean and crisp. Mm -hmm. You can't get those dirty colours that the English have. You know, those beautiful colours. You just can't get them here. So we were learning how to make those colours and what pigments to add to get the dirtiness and the, you know, the muted tones. So... Yeah, none of my projects are big budgets. It's just about being clever. And I think that if you go through the class and have your plan, know your story, know how to style, you know exactly what to buy. It doesn't have to be new. And often you can get better things secondhand, far better things. I do agree. But sometimes the secondhand things now are so expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've seen some of your bargains. (laughs) Yeah, the window was the size of this room, like, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, this window, if I had it made, would have cost me $15,000. Like, insane. So, it's kind of great, actually, to be able to find those unique things. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Not really a question, because Kate and Stacey have got all the good questions. (laughs) (laughs) So, got their list in first. But I just want to, like, comment on what you've just said. That was fantastic, because I went tile shopping yesterday, and I was looking at some of the world's most expensive tiles. So, (laughs) that's been really helpful, yes. It's hard when you're taking Molly, my daughter, who's part of Humble Harvest, with you, and she has all these wonderful ideas, but... She's not paying for it. Yeah. <laughs> Molly has expensive taste. She does. Very good taste. They were lovely tiles. <laughs> they were lovely. I mean, like, you know, something I'm doing in the farm that I'm excited about is I'm, I'm going to paint my own tiles. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I want, I've been YouTubing and asking tile people how to do this, and I want to paint little flowers or little birds on each tile and then glaze them or seal them somehow. I found boxes and boxes of these beautiful English tiles at the tip for $80. Oh, wow. And they were in like a crate stamped England, like so beautiful. But I, I know from visiting lots of tip shops, you can buy boxes of reject tiles for like nothing. And if you painted little details on them or stamped them and sealed them, you can get creative. You don't have to buy those beautiful tiles everyone else is using because often... If you buy the thing everyone else is using, you're instantly forgettable. Mm. If you're if you find old things or make things or use something cheap in a creative way by like buying the cheap tiles but doing something really special with the pattern of them and the grout or two tone, so beautiful. 
you know, like if you did like a blue to halfway and then a white, how special would that be? Actually, I can redeem Molly because about six or seven years ago, we were in a, a local, actually just up the road, vintage carousel, little spot, and uh, there were five vintage tiles. And so this was before I even had the, the thought of taking the hosting journey, although it always been in the back of my mind. But yeah, she just showed me and I just knew I had to get those tiles. So, and I've kept them all these years. They've been all different sorts of things, but they will be above the sink in the humble harvest. So, mm, that's so beautiful. Yeah. So. I, I bought a tap from France a couple of years ago when I was in there and it's like that beautiful big bar tap. And I don't know whether it's even going to work because I just bought it from this guy for like 20 euros. I pulled it out of box the other day because I thought I'll have this in the bar at Faraway Farm. And it's bloody hot and cold, but in French. <laughs> I'm like, people, like, I know what is hot and cold in French, but I'm sure there'll be guests that will be like, I'm not sure which is which, and they're going to be texting me about it. I can't use this. can't use this in the house because... I think that's kind of special. Maybe the tiles, I could have hot and cold with an above <laughs> on the tiles or something cute like that. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kate? So this is something that I feel like I'm going to struggle with since I'm getting closer to launch. But I think we invest so much of ourselves into creating our properties. How do you create separation and distance? By using Airbnb, you know, and fully making it your business. I think my personal strategy is making sure I... I'm going to use my own property for a year before I even rent it out. I feel lucky to do that. But I know other students who have a good method where there's a couple of months a year where it's just there. So it's always blocked out in the calendar rather than slotting in where you don't have guests. And then you, you really feel that pinch of this is my beautiful space and I'm just sort of here. And I see that there's drag marks of the suitcases down the hallway wall, having it yours for like a month a year or that you unpack all your stuff, put your things in the cupboard and take it back is how I do it. But it is hard. It is really hard. But that's the that's the big step you have to take. Okay. So but, just reclaiming the space for a month a year then and fully immersing yourself in it again? Yeah, I mean, if it's something that you love personally mm-hmm. and you want to use, I would say these two months or this week or this month a year, it's mine every year. Because when you're slotting in between guests, all you're doing is noticing all the things the guests have damaged, like chip plates or drag marks down the hallway where people's suitcases are run. Small things that are fine and with yearly maintenance, we have, you know, you have someone come through to touch up and things. But yeah, if you're in there two or three days every now and then, you're just going to spend the whole time obsessing about how people are using your house, what needs to be done. You'll be like making lists to do and to replace. So... I would give yourself that time of year where it's yours, it's not a business anymore, and then it's back to being a business and you're professional about it and see it as your business rather than your holiday home. Does it help you reconnect with the space and then re-inspire you to move onward and to, I guess, inspire you with social media as well because you've immersed yourself back in captain's rest for a period of time and it reinvigorate you to carry you onward yeah I mean I have to because after six years of captain's rest I'm not that inspired anymore with captain's rest because it 
I've lived it so fully for so long and, and now I'm excited about other things. So I do have to go to, to get back into that space to re-inspire myself with social media. But I'm lucky now because it's grown so big so other people, their experiences drive it forward rather than my experiences. But in the beginning, you, you're the one behind it. You have to push it. But, yeah, that's, that's the best way to do it, to have it as yours and then have it as a business. Otherwise, it's emotionally tough. Blurs the lines too much between the two. Yes, okay. yes. People aren't going to use your holiday home like you would use your holiday home, and you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And in the class, we've taught you lots of things about how to manage that and mitigate that and try and avoid it if possible. So you'll be okay. Just close your eyes and do it. <laughs> You yeah, can. All right. What's your average screen time? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I turned that function off because I couldn't handle it. <laughs> Every time I got the message, I'm like, no, I can't. I can't handle this anymore. Not a lot anymore. You know, everything got big enough or too big for me to be able to manage it. Like I think over the three Instagram accounts, we get probably 150 DMs a day. Wow. Nice. Yeah, and more three or four hundred comments and you know tags and shares. So if I don't see something that you've tagged me in, that's that's why because we have Lisa who manages most things online now, so we can try and get back to everybody and be across things. But I found, and you probably find the same thing. It's really addictive to just scroll and scroll and tap. So I had to give myself other things in my hands to do. So now I cross-stitch and I bought myself a Kindle. Yeah, okay, to keep you off your phone and scrolling. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I, I put the night mode on, so it goes into night mm-hmm. mode at 6, and I, I plug it into its charger in my pantry, so I put it to bed. Yeah, that's a So I tuck idea. it in, tuck, plug it in, put it to bed. And I think it's, I found now I'm not addicted to my phone anymore. Email, yes, but Instagram, no. But email, yes, still working yeah. on it. And do you find when you are, like, looking at your emails and things, do you get stuck procrastinating or you find you're quite focused? I think the busier you are, the easier it gets to prioritise and delegate. And, like, now I just, if I don't have to reply to an email, just file it. You know, a couple of years ago I'd reply to everything and, like, but now if it doesn't need a response, you know, I'm, I'm getting better at managing my time better. And only focusing on the things I genuinely need to focus on. This is my last question. So you've become such a leader and mentor for many in the hosting space. Was there anyone that filled this role for you? No, which is why I felt so strongly about doing it, especially when the school started growing. I felt like, you know, because obviously I, I have lots of design heroes, like designers I love. And I felt like the industry was so toxic and for profit and it was always just pushing a commercial goal. So there's so many online classes out there, but it's pushing you towards like styling a certain way like they do or buying certain things that are expensive. So the whole industry just felt like very elitist, full of monoculture and and not driven from passion, but driven for profit. Like it really was clear I, mean, I don't have to mention it, but you can see things. It's just like this is their business model to like, you know, suck people in, do whatever, 
And I just wanted to make something that was genuine because I felt like the world needs it, especially in spaces. Because I think a lot of us feel pushed out of the interiors world, especially being new in it. I remember when I first started, there was like five women in Australia who dominated the industry. And unless you were like one of them or one of their friends, then there wasn't a space for you. Or, you know, you didn't have a certain look. And I just wanted to create a space for people where they felt welcome and inspired and excited no matter what it is they were doing and no matter what their aesthetic is. It's just so amazing to me having watched this whole journey from the start, starting out in a space that wasn't for people like me, small budget, small house, a style that wasn't in line with what everyone else was doing, to today where every single magazine I would say is anywhere between 60 to 95% students, all people who felt like me, different styles and aesthetics. It's wild to see the Captain's Dress aesthetic become so huge in the world. I wish I had a collection of magazines from then and a collection from now just to chart the journey and maybe some kind of statistics. But I feel like this has been such a positive change. You know, there's still obviously room for big and beautiful and big budgets and well-known. And there's also room for me and you and, you know, these three beautiful women who are talking to today. They're three very different, you know, gorgeous projects that have really come from their heart. So I'm so proud to see, having seen it all happen. Whether they're into like crystals or, you know, dream catchers or whatever their thing was, that they could feel inspired and important and relevant like everyone else. It just didn't push certain people out depending on their taste or budget. So I felt like that was really important to create. So, yeah. It's nice that you've been able to give well each of us I think as well as your other students it's a way for us to be able to express ourselves that is very unique and not in line with everything else that's happening in the design world as well yeah I mean I like you know an editor got in touch with me a couple of weeks ago and she said oh I think we have a couple of students in the next issue and I said oh give me a look because they, they think they can tell from the look if they look like Captain's Dress. And I said, no, actually, actually, everyone in this magazine is a student. They just all have different aesthetics, and that's what we teach. We, we pull that out of the individual, so our spaces that they're creating are really unique to them, and you wouldn't know whether they're a student or not. And they were really blown away. They just didn't couldn't quite understand it, how we taught that. I, said, I think that most people teaching would be like, this is how I style and this is how to create my look. And this is how you can copy it, which is not what we do. Well, all three of us have got very different looks. Absolutely. But we all appreciate yeah. each other's looks and, and get it and want to go and experience that mm. because it's different to what your look is, which is part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah. Trying different things. And, and yeah. I, I think if you're doing something, like you can, you know, I get to stay in so many different spaces and I can tell when a space is inspired by something else and it's not really them or their space or inspired by that home there's this it's sort of like when we meet someone and you know they're lying to us like as women we can pick up on that straight away if they're being 
not genuine with us and I feel like spaces are the same. And I think it's why even though you both are all so different, you all do so well. You don't have to be a certain thing to do well. And you guys know that and you just have to trust that <laughs> because I know that you guys are not launched yet but we'll have to do a revisit in season like two or three <laughs> and be like now how are you going <laughs> tell us what magazines you were in <laughs> I love this what a clever idea if you would like season two if you manage to hang in there with me with all my trepidation about being a podcast host and really having a hard time with the equipment I promise we will do better in season two. Let us know if something, something you would like and if you would like us to revisit the ladies to see how they're going. I think, me personally, I love that we're all different because yeah. we can just bounce ideas off each other and we all have shared our mood boards with each other so we know each other's looks and what we're going through for and each one of us will say, hey, I've seen this, you know, I feel like this really fits with Margot or this will look great at the Humble yeah. Harvest and we can cross over a lot, which yeah. is really fantastic to – sometimes I think we do second-guess ourselves, but having someone else that's kind of there and, the, and they can say, no, that that's exactly the look that you're after, yeah. go for it, or maybe think about something else. So, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. I think it's also nice because then you're not in competition with each other too. Like I know in Tasmania, we're all so different. We all have something to offer. So I have no problem saying, I'll go and stay with so-and-so or so-and-so. Or like there isn't that feeling of competition. We're all celebrated because we're all different. And it's nice for our guests to travel with all of us and have such a different experience no matter where they go. So it's a lovely feeling in the community of sharing. Yeah, I agree with that. I think as a whole, the hosting masterclass is that way anyway. Yeah. I feel like everyone just wants to celebrate each other's successes. And I've never been part of a community like that before where everyone just wants the very best for each other yeah. and is absolutely cheerleading you 100%. for me is the community itself behind the scenes there's so much that goes on so once people finish their class with us it doesn't stop it really only just starts we have this incredible student only forum which is highly organized and highly beautiful and highly supportive where we all interact including myself people ask each other questions I answer I pose questions we organise, I think, three or four reunions in each state, depending on how busy people are, as well as, um, you know, visits to each other's houses. If somebody is coming from press and media, that's sort of publicised there. We're all going to Paris next year, as well as visiting one of our beautiful French students, Susie's Chateau. So it's just amazing to have, you know, this beautiful group of thousands of women together um, supporting and cheering each other on and I get to see that every day just incredible so I hope you really enjoyed part one of this very special episode and I hope you learnt a lot I think there's just very, so many nuggets of wisdom in there for anyone wanting to go onto this hosting journey 
Just thank you so much again for joining us and we will see you next episode for part two. One more thing before you go, a huge thank you to our podcast producer, Amelia Navasquez and Lisa McKernan, who helped put this together for us. And of course, to you for listening. Thank you so much.